1: you know, having gone to Michigan actually came in handy for the 2015 Michigan-Michigan State game where it ended on that botched fumble. As I was joking with a friend, I'm like, you know what? I think that experience p- prepared me for this moment. Like, the whole sense of euphoria and thinking, yeah, we did it, finally won, and it's gone.
2: Uh, meanwhile, I can't believe that Virginia, Breaking tea. the same people that were nice enough to uh, design the Tyler shirt for us, they did the the shot the shot the play whatever the hell it is for virginia and i'm like you know what it's a business decision yeah i can respect it and i respect virginia and i know it was legit
1: they probably would have done the same for us if we made it to the final Four.
2: Oh yeah well they had they did come up with one they uh, made one for carson's uh, not i'm not playing they did a we're not playing
1: well at least children in africa will represent purdue final four t-shirts
0: Threes. it is good, that was for 40 to roll short, back down Diakite, a race for it, into the hands of Clark, got a chance to win it here, up the front, here's Diakite for the win! Yeah. Oh. Goes to work on Eifert, powers his way in, what a bucket by DeAndre Hunter, and Virginia now in the lead, first half, it was Clark's rundown and the subsequent pass to Diakite in the title, and that's it, Virginia advancing to the final four for the first time since 1981.
2: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen, I know that we are late um, with the hammer and rails basketball podcast because first of all we never came up with a name for it and second of all we've never really done it this year uh due to lots of things and schedule conflicts and moving over to our new podcasting platform but what time what better time than the end of the season to talk about it and so here we are with the hammer and rails basketball podcast as always i am t mill travis miller of hammerandrails.com exhausted after a long day yesterday. And to start us off, uh, we have Juan out on the West Coast. How are you doing, Juan?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Um, Habitual Boiler tweeted out today, you know, how are we all feeling 24 hours afterwards? And my response was, uh, this morning I was waking up, and I was thinking, man, if only Ryan Klein had hit that second free throw. But then immediately after that, I was like, well, you know what? UVA would have just gone down the court, hit a three to... Be down one, foul us. We go up two by hitting two more free throws, and then they still hit another three to tie it to overtime. So either way, we're going to overtime. <laughs> That's how I'm coping with all this. I'm like, you know what? We're Purdue. We would, you know, it, it was just I, I was, you know what? It, it was going to happen anyway. I, I had mentally prepared myself last night. The second, the second free throw didn't go in. I'm like, yep, yeah, this is going to overtime, ain't it? Uh,
2: see, I, I'm not there, and I. Usually, I've been pessimistic. I've been especially you're, pessimistic.
1: You're not there, Travis. Travis, you are the one who is telling us every day that Purdue finds the banana peel. And why am I the one who was like, "Yep, that's going to happen."
2: I I think, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just crazy. Yeah, but well. I think I I think just being in the arena last night, and I'm writing up the game wrap, and I'm writing up the post on Carson being named most outstanding player, and. During that whole time, I I just stayed in my seat courtside and heard them heard the cheers of the Virginia players climbing the ladder to cut the nets and they announced the all-tournament team and everything else. It it just kind of, maybe it was just the osmosis of the moment and everything and knowing that they had scaled the mountain themselves and they had overcome their own adversity to make it. I mean, you look at Virginia and they're a team that's had probably as much, if not more, March difficulty as us. I mean, I, I even made the joke with Caroline Downey of uh, com. She's like the college league manager. And she was there last night, too, because she's a Virginia alum and also writes for their SB Nation site. I told her, you know what? If there was a way for two teams to lose the same NCAA tournament game, Purdue and Virginia would find a way to do it.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. This was discussed on Reddit, too. It was like... Wow, both, it's like both fan bases talk about finding ways to lose. And it was like a you have UVA person, and it was like, that said, I totally expect us to choke. And then a Purdue fan followed. And it's like, no, we're going to choke first.
2: And if, and if you think about it, they, it kind of did work out that way. I mean, Virginia has the lead, and they're known for their defense, and then they, j- they can't stop Carson Edwards. They can't stop Carson. And so they, they blow their lead late, and Purdue takes the lead, on the banked-in three-pointer. was that, that was in regulation, wasn't it? It yeah. all kind of blends together. And they've been rebounding well all night, and they can't rebound, and they lose the rebound to Grady. So mm-hmm. there, there's them trying to lose it. And then Purdue loses on their... They lose the lead, and it goes to overtime on just that absolutely insane play at the end. That was, But this was such a game that it was just so much back and forth.
1: You know, it was like... both teams got up to, like, 8 to 10-point leads, but they never felt safe at any point. Right. You know, if this was a game, if this was, like, the Tennessee game where we go up by almost 20 points and then lose it, I think I would have been more upset. But the fact that it was just going back and forth, back and forth, I'm just, like, in my head being, like, get ready. They're going to tie this or win it, you know.
2: And, see, I never thought that. And even this morning, I don't feel, I don't feel especially, I don't feel especially, like, taken down by it as much. I mean, yeah, it hurts. It stings. It's one of the most painful losses that I've seen of any of my basketball teams ever. And, but at the same time, I look at what Virginia has overcome in the past few years, and they suffered the most embarrassing NCAA tournament loss ever last year. I mean, losing by 20 points to a 16 seed. As the number one overall seed when they had rolled through the ACC. I mean, they were arguably a better team last year. And they got absolutely pantsed by UMBC. And they also have their famous loss to Chaminade back in the 80s with Ralph Sampson. But to recover from that and recover from their own oh-no-not-again moment of trailing said 16 seed uh, in the first round this year at halftime and overcome the oh, no, not again moment that they, you know, needed a miracle play at the end. I think it just kind of rubbed off on me of, you know what? We can still overcome this, and it can still happen. And I'm I'm strangely confident that Matt Painter will take us to a Final Four. I mean, maybe maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. I probably— No, I don't,
1: I don't think you are. And I pointed this out last night on Twitter. It was like— if you look at the last couple senior classes under Painter, they've all overcome one hurdle but then ran into another brick wall. So, like, Rafael Davis and A.J. Hammonds, they got Purdue back into the NCAA tournament. But they weren't able to win a first-round game. You know, they had the loss to Cincinnati and then the loss to Little Rock.
2: And both of them and in a similar fashion to this loss. Right.
1: And, and then you have Vince, PJ, Haas, and Dakota. You know, they not only win you know, the Big Ten, but they also but they also make it past that first round, but they can but they couldn't get past the Sweet Sixteen, even when they were a two C because of Haas getting injured and all that. And then running into a hot Texas Tech team. And then this year we have Klein, Grady, and Carson who will probably be leaving as well. You know, they finally overcome that Sweet Sixteen barrier. But alas they can't they just couldn't get over the hump into the final four. So who knows, maybe it's no gel in harms that gets Purdue into the Final Four in the next two years as well. We'll have to wait and see at this rate.
2: I, I think that, honestly, it's a case of Painter is recruiting so differently, and I and you're starting to see the fruit of that recruiting where he's getting the four-year guys where it's almost like we're no longer building for one year in four or one year in three. We're building teams that really fit together all at once, and I think that right. you saw that this year.
1: Yeah, it's like it's a constantly rotating thing now. You know, like I said last year, that you know Vince, PJ, Hassan Dakota. I think that was going to be our last sort of like not super class per se, but like a super class for Purdue. Like we're never really going to see that again. Uh, we're going to start seeing like people come in like Klein and Carson um, and Nojel. You know like, one-star recruit every year that can, like, fit that mold of what's needed. And then everyone else can contribute in their own ways, and then this will allow good rotation. This way, you know, you may lose a player or two or three after a season, but, you know, the guys who are behind them have the experience now. You know, and it still might lead to a rough non-con, but by the time you get all the kinks out, it, when January rolls around, this a team could be set.
2: Right, and that's why... What Car- whatever Carson decides for next season, it's going to make things very interesting because if he does not come back, and I have no idea what he's doing, but if he doesn't come back, you're going to have a Purdue team that only has one senior with Eifert, or not Eifert, sorry, with Boudreau, and Boudreau, while he had a larger role in the beginning of the season, didn't even play in most of the big games down the stretch, uh he may have a larger role next year i expect him to but
1: yeah we'll he, see like with Boudreaux, it's it's hard to say because he kind of got stuck on the bench being injured and then trevion williams exploded and he's a five and right now we're kind of we're kind of maxed out at the five position
2: yeah and but that's still the lone senior next year along with Luce, the walk on who I don't think Luce is going to have a uh, Grady-like ascension to the starting lineup. You know? Wow.
1: Okay. You're, you're just going to write him off like that?
2: <laughs> you're just, anyway. You, you, so I, I wh- can already
1: hear people like, in L.A. getting their pitchforks ready and, <laughs> well, and going to your house in Indy. I, I,
2: I have the hot takes. I can't help it.
1: No, you want to uh, hear my hot take? I had oh. a really hot take earlier today in our group chat. I think that Purdue's Elite Eight run in terms of like the quality of wins is much better than Michigan's national title run from last year.
2: Now that's a, take. That just is a in, take. Just
1: in terms of quality of wins, if you look at who Michigan beat last year to get to the national title game, the best team they beat was a number six seed Houston team that they had to beat on a last second shot. I mean, granted, yes, you know, they beat an Elite Eight team. They won an the Elite Eight in Final Four, but you know, they they ran into like oh a worn-out Loyola team and all that. Meanwhile, you know, we're first off, Purdue actually beat Villanova in the tournament. And then, you know, we beat a very talented, athletic Tennessee team that we really didn't match up well against and took it to the wire against probably the best team in the nation right now. That's just right. my take.
2: And, and you, you got a point there because I feel like they had the ultimate broken bracket last year. And I'm like, if you, make, if you put us as the two seed in Virginia's region last year, I felt like we would have walked to the final four even without, ha- without Haas. Oh, yeah. Haas could have broken both of his elbows. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's, and you, know, you talk about the play. Uh, you were just waiting for the banana peel. I admit, even to myself, I thought it was over at two different points. I thought it was over when Eifert grabbed the rebound at the end of regulation uh, because I was like, okay, we're going to hit at least one free throw, and then it's just the free throw contest that game. Can we outpace him? And I was kind of surprised that they went to Klein. It was almost like they were looking for Klein uh, to shoot them. Not to denigrate Klein uh, at all, but he's not been great from the free throw line. And I think part of it is he just doesn't get there very often. I mean, this was his most free throws that he has shot in in a season in his Purdue career, and he shot 33. And that includes last night. You know, he doesn't even get there once a game. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he might be a great free throw shooter in practice, but I think it says something to get there time after time in a game situation. And I think that is kind of where he struggled. Whereas Grady, Grady had a very similar position or percentage to him. And I also was like, why aren't we looking for Carson to get the ball here or something like that? But well, Again, Carson was
1: probably double teamed at that point. Right? And, it, it,
2: and it's also a scramble situation after an offensive rebound. You know, you know how crazy that can be, too.
1: Right. And at that point, it's just like either hold on to the ball or pass it as much as you can to burn off some time. And they're going with the latter. I mean, I, haven't, I have not gone back to watch replays. I don't know if I ever will. Um, well, actually, I will because I'm going to have to insert sounds from the game for this podcast. Damn it. But it was definitely a, you know... From what I heard, it's just... Klein was the one that was open, you know? I don't know where Carson
2: was at that point. He
1: could have been across the court and you don't want to attempt a across court pass at that point.
2: Right, right. But I, I thought we had it then. Yet I still even warned... I and I even tweeted, I was like, I don't like Klein at the line with a one-and-one. He's not been great. And he's missed the front ends of one-and-ones. I, I, you know, I can't have... I don't have the exact moments that he's missed them, but it seems like he's missed a a large number of them where he's missed the front end and he hits the first and he misses the second. And it was funny because they come down and even the media guy next to me, it was just a random ACC guy that was, I I think he was just a conference guy, you know, unaffiliated, but he's even saying he's even telling Purdue to foul in that moment. He was, he was, Mm -hmm. he went total fan. I mean, just, the entire arena is coming unhinged in, in that moment. So they make the foul. He makes the first. And I don't know if he was trying to miss the second free throw on purpose or not.
1: It looked like he was. Holmes said apparently he wasn't in their interview. But to me, like, when you hit the front rim on the second free throw shot when you're down two, that that seems pretty intentional because it bounced back pretty far, too.
2: Right. And like, and that that was almost like a miss like you're playing 21. And... And I, I watched it, I watched the replay, pausing it, stopping it, pa- uh, pausing it, playing it, pausing it, playing it, and Purdue did pretty much everything right on the play. I mean, uh-huh. if you look at it, Grady boxes out uh, Diakite, Dia he boxes him out great, if it just falls straight down, it goes to Grady, he gets the rebound, and he's going to the line, and it, it just caromed a little too far, and that credit to Virginia, that's what they were doing all night is they were just trained, okay, we can only get one hand up, we're tipping it out. The moment he tipped it out and I saw it went past everybody, I instantly thought we won the game. I thought we had won it because I thought it was either going to go out of bounds and we were going to have to inbound the ball underneath the basket with a second and a half, two seconds left, uh, or they were going to get it and make a half-court heave. I didn't realize that they had a timeout at the time. And that's another thing that was surprising in retrospect is that they didn't call a timeout once mm-hmm. they corralled the ball. So once he gets it, you know, I know the clock's running at this point. N- I have no idea. I know it had started running roughly when he tapped it, and I know people did the six-tenths of a second went off. But you got to allow for, you know, just the human reflex there. I've even the scorekeepers kind of caught in the game, too. Right. I knew, and then I looked at it on the replay. He got the ball going away from the basket with, like, three and a half seconds left, which is just, he ends up at the other free-throw line with the ball, and the pass that he throws to Diakite, he lets it go with two seconds left. It got to him with 1.1 seconds left. So, nine-tenths of a second, the ball moved, you know, 55 feet, which is, that's yeah. just, just a laser of a pass, and that's what they play.
1: Yeah, they... They had that set up extremely well, even when it seemed like it was falling apart. Um, But i was just remember, I I don't know why, but I'm also now remembering, you know, 2015, Kendall Stevens is tying three at Penn State to go into overtime. And I remember tweeting out after that happened on the Hammer and Rails account. And I was just like, you know what? It's not so fun being on the other side of game tying baskets (laughs) (laughs) because we had because, you know, we had the game tying free throws from Carson as well, and then you know, you know, Penn State a few years ago and all that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's not so fun, ain't it? No, but, but it, 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 it was, it was just the way it was. It, it some of that was luck, but that was just also Virginia being extremely talented. And honestly, like fifty fifty. I think. I mean, some I know some people will say like most of the time you know Virginia would make that, but the way they set that up fifty fifty, I think they get that anyway.
2: Well, I, and, and there's a couple of other things there. It's like he had the poise to make the pass when how many other guys would have chucked up a half quarter? They mm-hmm. would have panicked. Uh, and then credit to Akaita I mean, for giving him position.
1: And you he have pogo to,
2: sticks because he, he catches the ball, comes down, and goes back up.
1: You have to remember, University of Virginia
2: is like right up there with like
1: Harvard academically. So these are also some pretty smart players.
2: Oh, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> it,
1: great. This is probably why they're not making some dumbass decisions out there.
2: And, and even, even after Diakate pogo sticks in, like, I think it was, like, he caught it with 1.1 and he let it go with 3 tenths. And Harms is right there to challenge the shot. And Harms mistimed his jump by half a second. Otherwise, he, he probably has a very good chance of blocking it or just even tipping it a little.
1: <laughs> or just she fouls him anyway. <laughs> that would be a very Purdue thing to do, and gets the and one. Could you that, that's that's another possibility here, you know? Because again, like I tweeted out, the reason why like I was mentally prepared for that is because there was like ten thousand different situations that I saw Virginia tying or winning that, and I'm like, that was one of them. Would you know? <laughs> so, well,
2: Casey's uh, sitting next to me, and as the overtime starts, he he just did the he he just did the uh, oh well. I thought that was a game winner. I thought we were only up one (laughs) and he was so calm and Casey was calming me down because I was just, I'm just looking at the ceiling, like, Oh my God, Oh my God. And I can't say that with all the Purdue fans that were sitting directly behind me and Casey, had we won the game, I can't say I would have jumped into the crowd and did a giant group hug with them. And yeah, and the
1: then, then we would have lost spot. our credentials forever because there's no cheering in press row, Travis.
2: Well, yeah, there was no cheering in press row. I, I, I actually have a way that I do it. I either do a minor fist pump or if I need to yell something, I put both hands over my, uh, my mouth and nose and shout it into my hands. And it's loud enough in there nobody can hear me. So
1: We don't but, want the Notre Dame incident again.
0: at luckylandslots.com available to players in the US excluding Washington and Michigan no purchase necessary vgw group void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply <laughs> so
1: i guess so i guess looking forward, uh, we got to look ahead to next year let's assume that let's just assume for the sake of argument that carson does leave for the nba how does this team let's not say reload let's not say rebuild let's say they reload for next year how do they reload
2: uh, and that's that's going to be tricky because Part of me is like, well, how do you replace Carson at 25 points a game? But at the same time, look at how much we lost. I mean, we lost more than 25 points a game with Haas and Edwards and Dakota and PJ. I mean, how much did they contribute? What were they doing, like 45, 50 a game combined?
1: Yeah, it was definitely well over half-produced points.
2: Uh, I mean, let, let me see what, it, what we've got here. I'll look it up on our ESPN page, but... Uh, I mean, just a ton of scoring and across multiple players versus, okay, Carson have fin- officially finished with 23 a game this year, but Haas was 14.7, Edwards was 14.6, Dakota was 12, PJ was 7.5. Almost 50 points a game.
1: Yeah, I think Klein's departure might hurt more than Carson's, and that's a bit of a hot take. I know. So, like, Carson was on fire in this tournament, no doubt. He was hot. But, like, even during the regular season, like, he would score 20 or more points a game, but he took a lot of shots to get there at the yeah, same there, time. Yeah, there will so be the way shots
2: it, go around.
1: Right, so there's going to be shots to go around. Whereas with Klein, like, when he was shooting from three, you know he was, like, going in at least half 50% of the time, which is pretty good when it comes to three-point shooting.
2: Right. He was at 41.7. And right. And I think... Sasha could step into that role because Sasha obviously in a limited minutes, but 11 and a half minutes a game, he shot 41% from three and he's just, he's kind of the lineal Matthias Klein. Sasha's the next guy in and with three years to do it, he's, he can be a little bit more like Matthias. Now, granted he did not have the volume that Klein did this year, Klein shot two hundred and sixty six threes Sasha shot shot sixty one but they shot a very similar percentage. Klein was forty one point seven so and sasha was forty one percent so I think he takes that role and I think Grady will also be a pretty big loss, honestly. Uh, oh, yeah. he, was, he led the team in three point shooting percentage forty three point eight. Well, he also shot when
1: he, he also shot the ball when he was open. So, you know, he had time to get set and everything. But that's the thing. It was like Grady was like the guy that, you know, teams forgot to account for because there was just no way to prepare for him. He could just do anything around the court. Um, especially, you know, last year,
2: it was, was difficult. That was P.J.'s yeah. role for years because they would forget about him and he'd hit an open three.
1: Mm-hmm. With Grady, it was like once he got that confidence there, because the first time... You know, first games he would be out there as like for non cleanup duty, or uh, you know, non like oh we're up by thirty, you can go play now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was, it was he was very hesitant and all that. Uh, but once he you know gained that confidence, he was really good in being able to fill in those fill in those roles. So I think that's I think is going to be the key piece, like you said, is how is there a player out there who can. Provide that at any position, you know, just be the hustler guy in a way. I don't think that's the right word to use, but I'm going to use it.
2: Uh, I think, I kind of think Boudreaux could be that guy, but I don't, he's, he does not have the defensive quickness that Grady had.
1: Yeah, if, had. He can, if he can get the speed to play at the four, he would be good. Right now, he's just like an undersized five. That
2: I, I think Boudreaux is. is a better Travis Carroll.
1: We love you tacos, but that that's a that's not a that's not a
2: very high <laughs> bar. Well, I I say that because offensively, I think Carroll was a 4. He right. had a nice mid-range jumper and I feel like he could I think I he might have stepped out and shot a 3. He had a good, he had a good jump shot. Yeah, and was, that's what Boudreaux does. Right, he was starting
1: in the 2010-11 season when Hummel was out with his ACL and playing at the 4 and he did well. Just after the he had to play at the 5 and he was not good at the 5. He,
2: he he was he was not good at the 5 offensively. He was not good at the 4 defensively. And he needed, to do, he needed to be a five defensively and a four offensively. And, and I, I, I kind of feel like Boudreaux's that way, too. But, I, I mean, he can be, he'll be the gritty guy. He'll, he'll have a role next year. Wheeler needs to be starting. Uh, I, I think Wheeler becomes probably the starting four. Obviously, Harms and Williams will probably split time at the five. I, I still don't know where DeWoon is going to play. Uh, I have no idea of his offensive game whatsoever, uh, but I think you'll also see if Trevion Slims down a little bit and we get him on the Biggie Slim down plan, uh, he he could play some minutes at the four. So I think we're we're set in the front court. I'm I'm concerned about the two and the three spots, but I like Hunter. Hunter I think can come on. Uh, he he's a kid that's scored. He's a top 10 scorer all time in Indiana State history. He knows he knows how to score the basketball. He just, that was not his role this year. He finished the season with 79 points. What we need from, we need more from him scoring-wise, I think. And he's got that yeah. capability, and I think he can become a very capable three-point shooter, too.
1: Yeah, he definitely,
2: I, I'd have to look at the numbers. But those 79 points,
1: like I'd probably say like 78 of them, it felt like came in conference play as well. Because I remember in the early on in the season, whenever he came on, I would be like, oh, "Great offense is going to be dead." Uh, but then towards on, towards the latter half of the season, it was like when Hunter came on, I'm like, "You know what? We're good. We should be okay." Like he, still not a high volume score or anything like that. But
2: I mean, we, we he when he hit a three last night, I'm like, "Okay, that's like found money right there." And then mm-hmm. it, he also was a good attacker, so he needs to get to the free throw line a little bit more. Oh uh, yeah.
1: Okay, I'm really- looking
2: at his stats. Of all his points, ten of them were in the first game of the season. <laughs> he had ten oh. against Fairfield. He had thirteen against Ohio, and those were his two best games.
1: Well, damn, I uh, stand corrected.
2: Uh, and then he had eight against. Uh, he had eight against Robert Morris, but his best. His best tournament game was he had five against Michigan State and Ohio State, and Ohio State again.
1: So, well, his best tournament game was uh, against Old Dominion. No, his
2: really, best tournament game was Villanova. I mean, he only had. The well, no, no, no. And, and in and terms you. of points, yeah, Villanova. But
1: but him being able to step up for Nogel at the last minute, oh as yeah. well. Like he was a he was a calm presence out there yeah, as well. I like, think he had, can had some
2: great passes. The distributor,
1: right? So he may not fill in the stat. I mean, he needs to start filling in the stat sheet more, but. You know, he can still provide a
2: good presence on the court as well. <clears throat> and then Nogel, oh, man, I would I would pay large sums of money for Nogel to get a jump shot. I don't know if he can buy one on eBay or Amazon. I don't know if they can prime that shit to West off yet, but I'm like, Nogel, you need a jump shot because they are playing six feet off of you right now when you're behind the three-point line because they know you cannot shoot. But I'm really excited to see Wheeler's development. I would love to see Williams slim down and see what he can do. I know Kyle is extremely excited about Brandon Newman coming from Valparaiso. And Newman, I only saw him once this past year. I saw him when they played Zionsville. And he did not have a good game in that game. But still, you could still tell... He is a f- another freak of nature athlete, a little bit like Wheeler. And he had a dunk attempt in that game that was a lot like the dunk attempt that Wheeler had last night, that he was going to end somebody's life if it had gone down.
1: So when Newman comes on and he's, you know, destroying opposing players, uh, the opposing team, their automatic reaction is going to be...
2: Newman! Yeah, sign Seinfeld. But... Uh, It'll be interesting because he he had a very good year, and I think there was a a game where he set the single-game Valparaiso scoring record, which was probably a Hummel or a Martin record from back in the day. Uh, Maybe Bryce Drew, I'm not sure. Next year, I mean, we don't know the schedule yet, but probably
1: next year we're going to see a similar, you know, learning struggle through non-con as well, given, you know, you lose Carson, you lose Klein. Uh, that's just a lot of production right there, and that, that takes time to overcome, especially as, you know, these new guys are getting more playing time, and they have to learn their errors as well. Uh, probably next year, if I were to make a prediction right now, I would say next year we're probably landing, hopefully within the, still within the top four of the Big Ten would be the goal. Um, as it should be. Maybe we slip down to the five, but tournament-wise, we could probably see us sl- coming in between a six and a ten seed. Perhaps is would be my prediction right now,
2: unless Carson
1: returns. If Carson returns, number one the whole way, we're going undefeated. Sorry, <laughs> IU, but now we're going to be the all-time tournament team.
2: <laughs> it, it's going to be interesting because you know Michigan State's still going to be good. Michigan's going to be good, and I, I just. Byline just has that bizarre magic over us. I think Maryland has got a lot of promise because they returned so much and they had a really young team. But uh, I I think we're, I'm with you, I think we're kind of right there for top four. And Painter has, in the Rutgers Maryland era, Painter has never finished outside the top four. Purdue is the
1: only team to not to always produce the only team to finish within the top 4 every year since the t- a conference expanded to 14 teams. So, something to keep up.
2: And, you know, the Big 10 is going to be the Big 10. I I think Wisconsin's going to take a step back.
1: Uh Wisconsin's going to take like 10 steps back.
2: Uh Nebraska is going to be just a mystery since they'll have a new coach. Minnesota, eh, I it's hard to say what Wee's going to do up there.
1: Yeah, they're still going to have coffee, so they're going to give us issues. Although, I think Murphy graduates.
2: Mm -hmm. And then Illinois. Illinois showed some moments this year. They were young, but I don't think they'll take a gigantic step forward. Um, Penn State is tragically still Penn State. Iowa is going to do Iowa things. I mean, they're going to be right in the middle. Rutgers, I mean, they were better this year. But, eh? I, I I think Ohio State's probably going to be pretty in the middle. Uh, Northwestern is, I mean, they're just fading so fast. And then you have Indiana. And, you know, I'll, I'll be blunt. If Indiana can't make the tournament with an all-conference forward and a lottery pick, they, you're going to lose both. So, um, good luck next year. Glad you got Archie. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the fun part. If Indiana misses the tournament next year, it will officially be their longest uh, t- drought of missing the tournament in 50 years. Wow! They, so even even the uh, sanction years, they didn't miss it four years in a row.
1: I did not know that. Actually,
2: yes, it's uh, it's it's interesting. It, it, the sanction years felt longer, but they only missed it three in a row then, and
1: that's true uh, because.
2: Calvin Sampson's last year, they still made it. Yeah, I mean, they they elected not to participate in it, but they made it. (laughs) But yeah, they they have made it. uh, They've had at least a four-year class make it every year since not going between 1967 and 1973, which back then it was much harder to make it because only one team per conference made the tournament. Uh, but this is not the IU basketball talk. We're we're still talking Purdue and next year. I'm also kind of curious to see what roles Isaiah and Isaiah Thompson and Mason Gillis will have. Mason Gillis is he's a complete mystery to me. I know he had a really really good junior year with Newcastle but did not play he played like two minutes this season in the. All right, you had your knee injury. We're gonna play you on senior night. Let you get one basket and then take you out. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he's. I, I feel like anything that we get with him will be just a surprise. And then Isaiah is a really interesting type of player in that you know I I've seen him a lot over the last four years from my uh, part time job covering stuff for the Zionsville paper. He's a great, He's a kid that can get hot, and he's got the confidence. He's got a little bit of Carson in him, but uh, he is not anywhere remotely close to having the musculature of Carson. I don't mm-hmm. think he can take the beating, and he doesn't have the quickness that Carson does, but he does have the range and the confidence, I think. I mean, that's stuff that it could be built up
1: as well when right. they're in college. I mean, it, it can't expect, you know than to be coming out of college like or coming out of high school like Zion. Like, even Carson had to
2: probably build up a little bit, too. Right. I and and I, that's not me saying that Isaiah's going to be the next Carson or he's going to have a freshman season like Carson did as a freshman. He, he's got a little bit of that in him, I think. And th- that can be a good thing. And I think he, he's a different player than P.J. was, too, in that P.J., kind of was very calm, a very calming presence, let the game come to him. Isaiah is more likely to attack, and he's more likely to do that pull-up 25-foot three-pointer, because I've seen him do it a number of times, and when he catches fire, he can hit six, seven, eight threes in a row. I mean, not the performance that Carson had last night, because my God, I mean, that was just astounding what he did. (laughs) Yeah. Isaiah has that capability that he can, you know, come in and hit four threes for you on a random night, and you know maybe that's kind of the role that he has next year. It'll be interesting to see where he kind of falls into the rotation because he's not—he's not quite the true point guard that his brother was either.
1: We'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm actually really terrible when it comes to recruiting, so I'm just <laughs> taking your word for everything right now, um, and I'm just like, yep, that—that yep, sounds about right about that player. Um, <sighs> Because don't it's, take, I, don't. for me, it's just always just weird. It's like, if you're to follow, you know, a, um, someone under 18, follow everything that they do, It's you know, it's considered stalking, pedophilia or something, you know. But if they play basketball or football, it's called recruiting.
2: Well, and, and the only reason I have, I've seen so much of Isaiah is because it was my job to cover him for several years, even before he was considering Purdue, even though at the time it was just the, yeah, Purdue offers he's accepting because of his brother. Uh, But one of the things I do try to do is once we do have a guy committed, I try and see him play one game a year. And so, like, this year when Valparaiso played Zionsville uh, in one of those holiday events down at Indy Manual, I was like, you know what, I'll go see that game so I can just check out Newman. And, you know, admittedly, he did not have a great game that night, but from everything else I've heard, he's been just a great scorer and he's a top 100 player and he's a quality guy coming to us. I've also been the one that I went once went on record and said that Donnie Hale could be the next Robbie Hummel. <laughs> <laughs> let's just end it, let's just, let's just end it there ever. right now. Yeah.
1: And you also said that Ronnie Johnson would be better than Yogi Ferrell. And uh...
2: I think I had hoped at the time that Ronnie was going to be better than Ferrell, mm-hmm. even though I went to the game I I did the game where Park Tudor played North Central because it was, you know, the IU-Purdue, the two point guards are going to face off, and Farrell had his lunch that entire game. (laughs)
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And
1: anyway, changing course. I had an idea to end this podcast. All right. So I think many of us were prepared to drop a thousand or so dollars to make the trip up to Minneapolis. Uh, we were just a few seconds short of actually booking those tickets so now i kind of want to know now that you're not going to be spending thousands of dollars to go to minneapolis this weekend what are your plans to if you were to still spend that a thousand dollars where would you go now
2: see i hadn't decided yet if i was going because i was like okay i'm not gonna have to get game tickets because i could get our media pass and i was probably i know casey was gonna drive so i was like you know what i'll just rent a car if i go i'll rent a car and i'll meet casey in lafayette and we'll drive the rest of the way and that could have been a poor decision it couldn't you know who knows uh and then so at that point you're just looking at a hotel and like okay you can find one for not too bad so i i was thinking it was going to cost me about 500 dollars or so yeah okay so now
1: that you're not going to be spending that 500 dollars, what would you do with it now
2: oh i don't know uh i was in the lego store this week this past week down in miami and they uh Ultimate Collector's Edition Millennium Falcon was kind of calling my name, but so were a bunch of other Lego sets. Because I'm going to be 40 this year, but I'm still a big kid, and I want to put together my Legos.
1: <laughs> there you go. no that. I mean, for me personally, um, you know, I had already booked the trip uh, trip to go down to Australia in August, but I had been baiting back and forth on whether or not to make a quick trip up to the Great Barrier Reef. I'm like, this is a few hundred dollars. Maybe I should wait and see. And then when Purdue lost, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I could do that trip. I was going to spend this money and go to Minneapolis. I might as well go see the Great Barrier Reef now. So we'll see if I do that.
2: Yeah, see it, see it before it's gone because climate change destroys it.
1: Right. So most likely, hopefully, you know, I see at least like one final four Purdue, one Purdue team in the final four in my lifetime. So, well, I mean, anyway, the women's
2: team's done it twice in your lifetime, haven't they?
1: This is true, but I wasn't a Purdue fan back then. <laughs> And this is also a way to test if our listeners have actually listened to the end of this podcast. So tell us what you're going to do now, now that, other than just crying, now that Purdue is not going to the Final Four. What, what would you spend that money on now?
2: And I guess, um, you know, I, you're obviously extrapolating here, and you're trying to guess reactions and everything else. But what, in your opinion, does Painter break through and get to a Final Four before he retires at Purdue – and about how long off do you see it happening?
1: I think it happens. I don't know when. Um, I said in our group chat in December, after Purdue had lost Notre Dame, I was just like, you know what, we're going to make a Final Four run when we least expect it. And I think Ledman said so this year. <laughs> it almost happened. We were almost, right. almost right. We were yeah. almost right. So I think I think that's what's going to happen. Is it's re- it's really going to happen in a year where we're just like. It, it, where we just don't expect it. You know, last year we would have expected it to happen, or the baby boiler years we would have expected it to happen. And all those years that ended in second round in Sweet 16 losses uh, and injuries. You know, this year, if you would have told us after the Notre Dame game that we'd be two points away from going to the final four, we would have laughed, we would have asked if it was the final four of the NIT. So yeah, I think it will happen under Painter. You know, we've seen this progression under the last few senior classes of overcoming, you know, one hurdle but running into another. I think we will see it. I just don't know when, and I think it will be when we least expect it.
2: That's part of the encouragement that I had is at one point Jay Wright was known as just an epic choker and couldn't get it done, couldn't get it done. And then suddenly he Same wins thing. two titles in three years at Villanova, and now he's one of the greatest coaches in all of college basketball. And honestly, I have a ton of respect for Villanova's program because I feel like they're a type of program a lot like Purdue in that they don't go for the one and done. They, they recruit guys for their system, for everything that they run, for the program that they run, and it comes together and it clicks for them. And next you have Tony Bennett. Again, four-year guys. He brings them in. They have a specific system they're extremely efficient at what they do, and they finally got their breakthrough this year. And I, I feel like Painter's kind of building to that. It's, it's taking time, but we've also- seen him evolve as a coach over the last few years. I mean, we've seen him evolve. He, he fell off there after the baby boilers were gone, no doubt. But we, as you mentioned earlier, the Hammonds and Rafael Davis class That's kind of what started this whole evolution and this whole build. And I really think that he's building to something. I think things are trending up. It would have been interesting to see how a Final Four appearance would have affected recruiting.
1: I mean, Uh, I think this run alone could impact his recruiting, especially if Carson goes early and and leaves for the NBA this year and gets drafted. Because then, under Painter's resume, he has now two players who have gone to the NBA. One who was expected to like be an NBA player anyway. And a second one that, you know, no one really highly recruited Carson before. You know, he had that talent and Painter was able to utilize that talent to showcase him and get them to the NBA. And now they have the Elite Eight run, you know, that they were two seconds away. So Painter can show that... You can tell recruits, it's like, one, I can get you to the NBA, and if you want to get there sooner, I can help you get there. And two, we can also win. And those, I think, are the things that recruits want to see. And this is why, you know, Payne, obviously, you know, he talks about everyone after, you know, he talks about, you know, 1 through 20 are great, and 21 through 500 in recruiting rankings is a complete crapshoot. But, of course, you want some of those 1 through 20 players. And now that he can show that he can get some of them into the NBA, and can win. I think that can help him recruit because that's what's cost him against like Izzo. Like, you know, Izzo, he just has to say, "Yeah, I'm coach Izzo. I go to Michigan State. You want to go to a Final 4 before you graduate? Come with me."
2: And and that's that's also interesting because I I feel like he could go he would benefit from getting maybe the one guy that's only going to be there two years, every other year or something. And uh-huh. that would be great. But he's also I mean, he's also got other NBA guys. I mean, he can claim Carl Landry is a guy that he developed. He's got one Moore, who was the 55th overall pick, and right. is a solid starter in the NBA.
1: But that was the thing with Painter before. It was like, his NBA guys were guys that developed after four years. Mm-hmm. You know, some of those guys, they're like, well, I have this talent now. I know I can go into the NBA after two years. Like, can you prove that to me, that you're going to help me get to the NBA after two or three years? And so now Payne has that on his resume, assuming Carson goes to the NBA and gets drafted this year, which I think is going to help. He has now both under his belt now.
2: as The other thing is, like, I'm hoping that if Carson does choose to return, that we actually get it done next year, because I feel like like if he returns, the expectations will go through the roof for next year. And it's almost like they will... I, I kind of feel like last year's team just felt the pressure late in the season, whereas this year's team did not. And it's almost like it just wasn't fun for them by the end of next season, by the end of last season. And, you know, running the same race that Villanova, because for much of last season, Villanova, Virginia, and Purdue were one, two, three all season long. And we just couldn't maintain that. And we, it just got like, they just didn't handle the pressure well at the end of games. Whereas this year, this year's team was just different and it felt like they were having a lot more fun. They were a lot more loose and it's, it's Tommy hard loose. to describe. And and I don't know if that will be there next year. Should Carson return? Because if he returns, like you said, they are going to be a final four pick. They're going to be a big 10 favorite again. And can that be replicated next season? I don't know.
1: Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. All we can do is talk at this point.
2: Well, come on back, Carson, and we'll find out, and we'll handle that then. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, uh, Casey was never able to show up on this because he was too busy playing basketball at the co-wreck tonight. Well, and his uh, car broke down, you know. Well, there's that, too. (laughs) But uh, I do thank everybody for listening. We hope you like our new podcast platform and that things will be easier for you and we we try to get, we'll try and get this figured out for over the summer to have a few more topics to talk about uh rather than just well we did a basketball podcast once this year and it was after a gut-wrenching loss
0: <laughs>
2: so for juan and myself uh we thank you for listening this season we thank you for reading this season it's been a great year uh and just it- been wonderful to see this team develop and grow and exceed every expectation and even though last night was one of the most painful losses in purdue history this was still an incredibly fun team to watch and it was a great ride from probably from the moment after they lost the notre dame game until last night it was just a fantastic season so thanks for being along with us and we will be back next year